This is GEA Embedded on Ballsley, where every Monday we bring you the best of the weekend's action and the best analysis uh, from the world of GAA. We'll talk a little bit of football later on when we get inside the game with Morris Brosnan. He'll bring us through uh, some of the, the, the tactical uh, masterclasses, I suppose, that, that saw um, some big results in the football at the weekend. And we'll guess the handicaps with the lads. And, of course, we'll have one of our little video interludes. We're looking at the best moustaches in the GEA. But it is all about hurling where we start this week. We've got Shane McGrath standing by for a ma- after a massive weekend where Limerick won three in a row in Munster. What a second half performance. We'll get into that. Kilkenny are Leinster champions once again. What a surprise. And we had some qualifier action as well. So let's talk to Shane McGrath. Shane, how are you doing? I'm. I you were at a couple of matches at the weekend, and you're looking. You look. You've got a good little tan for it. I've got the light shining on my head here. It makes me look very pale compared to you. I have to say, but uh, look, I'm sweltering talking about this here now because I had to close the window to do this. So I can only imagine what the players went through and all the matches we saw this weekend. How they got through it is unbelievable. Un- unbelievable, Mike. Unbelievable. And I think what you seen at the weekend was no matter no matter how fit you are, no matter how much training you've done, nobody trained you know, in May or in June getting ready for championship in 29, 30 degrees heat. Um, we might have seen it in maybe one one round of the league, you know, I suppose the tip Watford round comes to mind with the heat that was there that day. But just phenomenal, phenomenal stuff, Mike. Um, you know, the players, everything everything was left out there. And I think for me, it was a real common pattern across the weekend was, you know, 44, 45 minutes influx of subs. I was, I was, I was there mm. in Turles, Clare and Wexford. I think after 45 minutes uh, between the two teams, I think nine subs came on between the 45th and maybe the 55th minute. And it'll just tell you the ferocious effort that was there, the heat that was there, and the intensity. And, you know, especially in Turles, because and, and, and down in Northern Park as well, knockout hurling, lads knew that it was do or die, you know, and, uh, you know, everything was left out in the pitch. But uh, uh, we've seen, uh, we seen a few uh, few hurling carriers throwing in a few bottles of water and uh, physios <laughs> coming in with water as well. And there was... I think everyone's fair enough and looked down in Cork yesterday. Uh, common sense by the ref and the officials, fair play to them as well in all the games that the water breaks were a little bit extended, you know. So I think that was kudos to everyone, all the officials involved with that. Like. Yeah, definitely. Not much complaining about the uh, the Sosishkas uh, this weekend, um, thankfully. But geez, I, I, let's talk a little bit about that then. Like one of the most remarkable Munster finals I think any of us can ever remember. Like in the first, I think I tweeted at halftime saying, like, Tip, I've just been phenomenal here. Like it wasn't, it was. But I was a little bit worried about Limerick. There's a there's a there's a a little bit of a banned word in GA punditry, uh, Shane, that uh, that starts with an I and ends with uh, tensity. <laughs> but it did feel like Limerick were just off the pace and Tip had their number. And then the second half, like a performance for the eight, like I mean, it, almost a defining performance for this great team, like you would think. Yeah, just phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. I suppose we all know the figures at this stage, uh, Mike, but I just maybe t- t- tell some people what they were like. I mean, at halftime, it's 216 to 12 points. Fast forward to the to the second water break and the score is 217 to 222. Yeah. So Limerick, Limerick outscored tip 110 to one point in the third quarter. Now, if I could just put it into context for people, how, how dominant were they in that third quarter? Well, Limerick got off 13 shots and they scored 11 times. But Tip, Tip only had four shots in the quarter. And that will tell you the dominance that Limerick had in the, in the, in the whole thing. And they got one point. We got one point mm-hmm. in the third quarter. And I suppose, look, that, that set up what, what was to come. I was, I was down at the game myself, lucky to be there. And 10 point, you're 10 points up at halftime in, in a Munster senior final. And the air around the ground with all the Tipperary fans was, this isn't, there's something, something big is coming here out of Limerick. And I was just, uh, 
I thought it was absolutely brilliant, John Kiley's interview straight after the game. And I just have a quote here from him. You know, he said, we, we've great faith in our ability as a team. We're a little bit, we, we had to do a little bit of restructuring, but it really was about us getting stuck in. We were not physically engaged in the game. So for me, no matter what team you're with, no matter what you're doing, there's John Kiley, who's one of the best managers over the best hurling team in the country at the moment, saying, we simply didn't work hard enough in the first half. And 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 that's why, you know, tip tip dominated everything and took it back, took it back foot. The little bit of restructuring I thought was, was very interesting for me that mm. Keen Lynch moved mm. more out of the centre and they started hitting him more in the wings with the ball and he was winning puck outs when he's no right to and Dan McCormick was probably our man of the match in the first half, but by our I mean Tipperary's. He he had spent so much energy trying to curtail Keen and Keen was just he was a colossus for him there and uh throughout the whole game really when things even weren't going well from like have you ever experienced anything like this on a pitch or even seen it yourself like of, of such a turnaround because it wasn't even that it was just teams settle into games when they're not playing well you see that a bit and they might get into it but it was more like 15 men or whatever including the subs all just complete change you see even in like what you said tip not getting in shots and stuff in the second half there was how many moments of like real old school style full back play where Morrissey or Nash or something like that caught a ball and broke out and won the free and celebrated. Like that was happening as much as the scores down the other end. It just seemed like from one to 15 or whatever it was, obviously there was two subs brought on before half time as well, that Limerick just were a completely different team, different animal completely in the second half. I don't know if you've ever experienced that kind of change before. It's sometimes it can be hard if you know you have the talent, but you're not there in the day. A halftime break isn't going to completely transform you, you know? Usually. No, and, and, and you know what it is for me, Mike, right? And you could be down 10 points at halftime. You could have an unbelievably talented team. And, you know, you take the soccer teams like the Paris Saint-Germain's and, and, and these kind of teams down through the years who who have unbelievable talent, unbelievable talent. But they could be down 3 or 4 nil at halftime and they could they could lose the game 6 nil. And yeah. for me, the, the difference, in, the, in, difference in, in those kind of teams and the Limerick team that they have now, right? And I was talking to Limerick people afterwards. I said, first of all, this is the greatest group you, you've, you've ever had or maybe ever will have. And they all agreed. They said, look, we are enjoying every moment of this. Because we spent long enough looking at G winning things or looking at Clare winning things or looking at all the other teams in Munster winning things. And they said, we're going to appreciate this. But it summed up, John Kiley sums everything up for me. And... You're 10 points down at half time. You do a little bit of restructuring. But if you don't have a culture embedded in the group, and that's what they have, these Limerick lads are very close on and off the field, John, uh, Mike. Yeah. And John Kiley said before, after the match, he said, we did this for the group, but for the guys this morning that trained the Kilmallock, and he said they trained their backsides off. And I've no doubt that that was probably brought up in the dressing room at half time. I, I've worked with Caroline Curry before. She was with us when we had success with Tip. And like, you know, the 10 or 12 guys that train the Kilmallock are helping to make this team better. And then even when, even when the Limerick lads are lined up to come out to the pitch, there's subs either side of the wall there to give them a clap on the back. And for me, that's, that's what it is, Mike. You can have all the talent you want in the world, but if you don't have that culture and you don't have that belief in each other that when the chips are down, and like as anybody that was there yesterday, 10 points down at halftime, Majority of other teams would have said, it's so hot today, it's, it's just not going to be our day. But no, be, be, because of the whole culture they have, the group they have, and obviously the talent they have. But I mean, the belief they have in each other and the trust they have in each other when the thing is at its highest, that was evident yesterday. And I mean, to outscore Tip 217 to 1-5 in the second half. And let's be honest, Mike, Tip's goal was near at the end of the game. I think eight points up at the time. It was a consolation. Great finish now by Mark Kehoe, but... Just phenomenal, phenomenal uh, second half performance from Limerick. Um, one for the ages for sure for Munster final. And look, they got to bring home Mick, the Mick Mackey Cup first time 
uh, the Munster Cup has had a name and Mick Mackey and it's, it's going back to Limerick, back, back to hand, back to the, the Morrissey's there and all of them. So phenomenal yeah. performance by, by, every, by every one of them, really. Yeah, three in a row. It's an incredible thing. Munster finals definitely still matter. Tipperary's point of view then, could they have done more? Like, I mean, it really shouldn't be overlooked how well they played in the first half and how they did seem to have Limerick's number. And I know Limerick mightn't have been at their best, but even so, Tip had to do it. Could they have done more? A team with that much experience, Shane, could they have done more to just stem the tide a little bit? One ten to a point in a quarter of Hurland. Limerick were on fire. They were borderline unstoppable. I mean, dark art stuff, like go down injured or whatever the case may be. Uh, I know Carl Barrett did go down injured at one stage and that's definitely worthy of a talking point because maybe the game would have been very different if Aaron Glan gets sent off. But could Tip have done more to maybe earlier changes, changing the style themselves, rabbit in the headlights basically at least until the water break? Yeah, yeah. No, I think so. I think so, Mike. Um, we're first quarter dominate, dominated first quarter, dominated first half of Hurling. And Sheedy said it afterwards, you know, he wouldn't say he wouldn't say things like that. Or best probably 15, 20 minute spell of Hurling, he's probably been involved in it. And I would agree. We were everyone in the stands that like, we were all going down in hope, like as Tipperary fans. But mm. after the first 15, 20 minutes, your hope was growing into more we're like, we're, we're gonna do this. And like Limerick had two frees, Tamar's first free off the post, David Burns hits a free off the post. And um, Garrod Hagerty drops a ball shot for maybe 40, 45 yards, and you're looking at all these things going and you're like this is going to be our day. Like, this is going to be our day. One eight seven points up after the first quarter. Tip had eight wides in the first quarter as well, Mike. Eight wides. Yeah. Okay. And four or five of them scoreable chances. Like, they just dominated every sector. But I was, I was talking to a, a very high-ranking official after the game, and he just said, uh, for Kyle Hayes' goal, you know, and, and as you said, and maybe other things as well, you don't like to see going on, it probably is a time to just take a yellow card. But unfortunately for Tip, the guy who's chasing back Kyle Hayes is Dan McCormick. Dan yeah. McCormick is already on a yellow card, and I think a tick. If he pulls down Kyle Hayes, he's go down to 14 men. And he knows that. If you watch his body language, Mike, he's chasing him back, he's chasing him back. He's never looking really to get the arm in around, pull him back by the jersey. He's trying to get the flick in because in his mind, he knows he's on a yellow. Now, what a goal by Kyle Hayes. See the memes going around comparing him to the guys bouncing the ball off the ground like the lads would before they'd, like Djokovic would for he'd serve in Wimbledon <laughs> off the ground twice. Hurley turned the wrong way as well. If people yeah. watch it, I'm sure they've seen it. Like, that's some confidence in yourself. But it, it, if, if it's anyone else for me except Dan McCormick, I think I think it, they're, they're taking a yellow card. I really yeah. do. And I know some of the listeners might like to hear that. But let's be honest here. You have to try and stem the tide some bit. And, like, you know, as soon as that goal went in, like, I mean, the confidence, they grew and grew. And, you know, you, you know the, the close, the, the smaller the gap was getting, you could see the confidence in Limerick. The crowd were getting louder. There was a big Limerick crowd the terrace to the left of us there. They were getting louder and louder and they stand across the way. And uh, look, they just they just were phenomenal. But like you can't single, you can't say any one sector of the field for tip, you know, that really, really fell down. Like for me, it was just we we just got we just got wiped across yeah. the across the board. And and then Limerick just they changed the game, you know. And just wasn't happening for Graham McCahy, but Jesus, what a sub to bring on an Aaron Galan, six points, two, two from play, four for freeze. Obviously, a little bit of controversy we might talk about as well, Mike. But yeah. I mean, Dan Morrissey, what a guy to come in. And just the Limerick smarts as well. I, I, I just love you love learning from the from the best all the time. Rich English goes down and it's a temporary substitution. So Limerick are allowed to bring on five more subs as well after this. And with the heat that was there yesterday, they're allowed to bring on six guys, and it's just it's just good smarts. It's boxing clever mm. all the time. Their subs have a big impact. Pat Ryan comes on, gets on a lot of ball. David Reedy gets a point. 
you know, Connor Boylan comes on and he's busy. Serious, serious bench, serious, serious, um, serious squad. Um, like it's, I think it's in their hands. I, I, I really, really do know at this stage. And isn't that it? Because I mean, I've got questions over like, I mean, you, it, like, you know, you have to have Kylie's thing maybe is like, you know, you'd have to have competitiveness in the squad. So maybe we don't play Morrissey and we don't play Galan because the lads have done nothing wrong or whatever. But like, you're watching and you're like, it's a Munster final, play your best players. Like Dan Morrissey, like you were opened up, or Limerick were opened up twice in the first half and you're thinking like, you know, there's the man who was, you know, the best fullback in the country last year, so on and so forth. But it's really hard to even have these discussions because as soon as they turned it on, there was no team, we're talking about what Tip could have done to maybe stay in the game, but it feels like there was nobody that could have lived with them when they were like this. It's actually hard to analyse flaws in Limerick because even though they're there, they can just overcome them, like. Yeah, they can, like, you know. Like, if I take, take Keen Lynch, for example, normally Keen would be chipping in with three or four pints. Like, he scored one pint from play yesterday. And as I said, Dan McCormick was our man of the match, Tip's man of the match in the first half, but he, he was spent, like, he was spent trying to curtail this guy. One pint from play, he got it in the first half. But the amount of ball he got on, and it's just the trust they have in each other that they know, right, if it's not happening for me today, I'll win the ball and I'll throw it out to you. And, like, Gerald Hegarty came roaring into it there in the second half, three points from play. Tom Morrissey's best performance of the year so far, league and championship, five points yeah. from play and a free. Um, you know, as I said, Galan, Shamie Flanagan slowly but surely becoming their go-to guy, one three from play, caused an awful lot of bother, you know, and the goal disallowed, square ball, rightly caught, right call for me, he was in the square as well. And Peter Casey, often an unsung hero of Limerick mm-hmm. because for years, three years even, he, he was always with Graham McCahey or Shamie Fanning just to get on the, the field. Five points from play yesterday. His last point showed his fitness and his composure. Over by the sideline, uh, tips the ball onto himself, cuts in along, sees, gets a bit of space, taps it over the bar. Five points from play from him. So, like, as you said, you could try and tie down a few of them. You know, I mean, Sean Finn wasn't even at his really best yesterday. But Barry yeah. Nash steps up and is, is unbelievable, like. So, like, what do you do with them? Like, Jeremy Burns scores four points, like, and monster points from play. He runs up the field, the ball hits the post, and he gets the rebound. Like, you know, I mean, Kyle Hayes is wonder goal. But then again, Kyle Hayes probably wasn't at his brilliant best yesterday, but had one of the best moments of the championship and, and got goal of maybe this decade, maybe one of the greatest, probably one of the greatest goals ever in hurling. If there's any flaws, I suppose the couple of goals we got was when Decky Hannon was on the back foot, Mike. And yeah. I suppose other teams might look at that to say, Decky Hannon outstanding on the ball, but maybe we could try and catch him on the back foot. And I suppose Tip did get some change out of going long. But if you look at Tip's puckouts, you're not going to go long on Hayes or Dimmer Burns. It was it was right down the middle. And, you know, we did get some change out of that. So I'm sure other teams might look at that maybe. Might yeah, there was definitely an option. Through, yeah. There was an option there as well of, of, of like kind of having the, 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 the one man in coming out, but runners in as well. And that would be like, it'd be a frustration for me for both Clare and Wexford say if we're talking about that match in a few minutes is that Clare maybe played a target man where he was on his own and isolated and nobody coming for the breaking ball and Wexford played nobody (laughs) inside at all so uh, but like I mean that was brilliant from Tip and it was definitely something that could be exploited longer but you know it it, again once Limerick kind of shored it up they shored it up did it feel like a Munster final there you mentioned the, the crowd like it obviously was a much smaller one it was great to see them on the terraces the pitch looked unbelievable in Cork it looked like a a, a, an artificial pitch almost but did it feel that was there, with the comeback and the atmosphere and everything the fact that it was such a good game or is it still just lacking so much from there being so few there i tell you there was there, there was a, there was a great atmosphere there but did it feel like a much final i suppose i went down with my, my brother and my wife to the match and i was just saying it outside no it didn't really feel like a monster final and i suppose you are 
maybe missing that extra bit of a crowd. The terrace thing is massive down in Cork as well for Munster final day. Anyone, mm. and it was lucky enough to play in it. You love the terrace, the buzz off the terraces. The you know the parade beforehand. We're still missing that. They actually yeah. went to play the national anthem yesterday, and I was tweeting last week. I said I'd love to get the pipe bands back in the stadiums to play the national anthem because I love the rattle of that drum and the pipes going, and it gets the hairs on the back of your neck before the game even starts. Like you know. And I suppose all those little small things didn't it didn't really feel like a monster final, but I suppose at the end of it, like the Mick Mackey Cup gets gets raised above in the stands, so yeah. it's, it's every bit as much as much as much a monster final as any other of us. But for the feel and the atmosphere around beforehand, no, it didn't really have the same feel as you would for 40, 45,000 down in Cork with the weather and the terraces full and lads wearing black t-shirts collapsing in the terrace because <laughs> they didn't factor this in at all uh, well, you know what i mean these these things have i've seen these things happen down in down in cork on hot days but uh, no but hopefully look you know what mike we're, we're, we're getting there i think we're, we're getting, getting there. there great yeah. great to have uh, even that many there and that many above croaker as well it was, I was in the, I, I'd imagine I, if I was the hazard of guess, I'd say you might have been in the opposite terrace that day if you weren't playing like a, a, an underage game or something on the same day. But in '97, I was in the stand in the terrace where David Ford scored the goal into thing, and the man beside me who brought four or five of us went to the match, he was at all grabbed me around the neck, and as everybody was jumping up and down, and it took a good ten seconds before everybody realised I was being choked out here <laughs> as everybody was celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> One of the biggest goals in Clare Ireland history. Oh, so the terrace, terrace in Cork at yeah. the final day is uh, it's a place to be, let's say. Oh, <laughs> Even if I, I did survive it. Well, there were shoulders, there were shoulders going on to Tip and Clare lads in the stands that day. I was, I was at the match with my dad and uh, we were in the stands and there was Tip and Clare lads hopping off each other beside us before the ball even went in. It'll tell you the, for, the ferociousness of the rivalry at the time. But uh, yeah, I'll always remember that. The, beep, the beeps of the horns of the clear crowds going home by via the tunnel that, that that evening as well like yeah yeah look you know possibly not the most uh sure look those days were a long way a long way off uh now but yeah. uh somebody's saying here connell fan saying unbelievable stuff from limerick down now at halftime and ferocious first quarter of the um uh, uh senior hurling i suppose i don't know what that that is uh Liam Malley also look for show if you want comments obviously if you get us on twitter you can get us on youtube uh wherever you're watching you can just leave a comment and we'll get to it over the course if you have any questions for shane shane we'll probably leave limerick there i think they'll be waiting in the wings now for three weeks and you know we could be talking yeah. about mid-2000s kilkenny here where everything else is just window dressing as we kind yeah. of wait for the all the final but the everything else will be interesting and the Leinster final was maybe a bit of a letdown. It was like there was a there was a point where you're thinking Dublin are still in this, but they're just not scoring enough. And then Kilkenny just, you know, there was a little bit of a, a swing there with, you know, there possibly could have been a red card. Didn't mean to overlook the uh, possible Aaron Galan red card in the other thing as well, in the other match as well, and it would have changed it. It, it, it is an important talking point. It would have changed the game, but there could have been a red card in the Kilkenny game as well. Then Walter Walsh wins the soft free, and it just felt gone after that, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It did really. Um, like, I, I just for, for me, like, I mean, Dublin were they were facing a battle before the ball was even thrown in, Mike. You know, yeah. with everything that was going on. I mean, the losing the four players, like um, one one because of COVID. I think the three guys are close contacts. But if I put it in context for people that maybe don't understand the significance of this, right? The four players, okay, are Ronan Hayes, Keen O'Callaghan, Fergal Whitley, and uh, Oshin O'Rourke, right? Mm-hmm. Ro- Ronan Hayes was absolutely flying it. At the moment, he would have played full forward, you know. Um, Hugh, Hugh Lawler got man of the match to Kenny, right? Outstanding game. Like, it's a different game for Hugh Lawler if he's marking Rowan Hayes, in my opinion, all right? The other thing is, Keen O'Callaghan has been brilliant for Dublin this yeah. year. Keen O'Callaghan yeah. is their best, not their best man marker. Keen O'Callaghan would be 
he would have been targeted to say, whoever is going the best for Kilkenny, you're going to pick him up. And maybe it would, that would have been Owen Cody at the start for Keanu Cannon. Now, Owen mm-hmm. Cody, he, he, he chips in with uh, a pint compared to his 1-5 last day, but got on the world of ball as well. So, like, that's two things, right? You're missing, you're missing one of your main forwards. You're missing one of your main defenders, okay? Then you're one of the top fullbacks in the country, and Owen O'Donnell has to go off. Now, after two minutes, he's pulling up. He's going, yeah. He gets substituted after four minutes, okay? But, like... So there's two of your main defenders gone from, from a group of players who kept Galway to 1-9 from play for the whole match, 1-14 altogether. And it's, you know, at, like Matty Kenny spoke afterwards, he just said to the group, you just have to go out and do your best. But I mean, Kilkenny, like, you know, they, they were really comfortable in the second half for me. Like, I know it's, it was 12-9 at half time, but in the second half, you know, they in the third quarter especially, I know they, they refer to it as championship quarter, I think, in, in NFL or NBA terms. And, you know, Limerick, did 110 to 1 against Tip and mm. Kenny did 7 points to 3 against Dublin. Dublin 3 points in that third quarter, two of them from freeze. Can Kenny get four points in a row, Mike, unanswered? And for me, that's that sets it up then. It's 19-12. Um, I believe it was Keen Boland, wasn't it? Got the that got sin binned in. And oh, Keen Boland got hit in the head and Malone was reluctant to go off, but look, fair play to the medical people. Jake Jake Malone got the sin bin, I think, on 61 minutes. TJ yeah. steps up and buries it. You know, and that's it. It's it's game over. Then you know, it's 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 the Leinster title number seventeen for Brian Cody, the manager. On unbelievable record, will never be equaled again. You know, I mean, so like, I mean, I think for me, Dublin did very very well to stay in the game for for as long as they could. But with all the factors that that were there, and I think if they get everyone back for the quarter final, you know, that they will still be a force. But it, like the thing is, the preparation even now for the quarter final for them, Mike, like those boys will have to stay away for 10, 12 days now. And they have yeah. to self-isolate. So your four or five-year panel won't be able to be involved with the rest of your panel. And two or three of them probably will start the next day. And maybe, you know, maybe they could all start. But yeah. like they won't be involved in the group prep, in the video analysis. And that's another big setback for them, man. So I think there was a lot thrown at them yesterday. And they, and they did very well, you know, to curtail it. But like Kilkenny now are in an all-earned semi-final, Mike. And you'd hardly even know they're in an all-earned semi-final. Like mm-hmm. they... they they got through their they got through their Leinster semi final um, the last day against Wexford a ferocious battle like Wexford are Wexford really that good this year they're not they're not that good in my opinion as to where they were in 2019 but Kilkenny got through it they got the job done um, they got the job done on Saturday evening it wasn't their fault that 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 Dublin were missing guys they their their bench stood up again six points from their bench one nine from their bench against Wexford six points from their bench against the last day and it's the strength and depth they have I mean like. I thought James Maher and Danny Sutcliffe had a savage battle, savage battle. And um, James Maher pops up with three points. So that'll yeah. tell you, look what Kyle Hayes did attacking as a wing back. James Maher doing the same as well, popping up, you know, um, and, and a standout player. Um, Adrian Mullen gets two points, could have had another four, yeah. could have had three or four points. Cody's quite enough by his standard that he set now, one point compared to one five last day. And their bench come in six points to play, Killian Buckley, Buckley I thought Carey's tweet was very funny after the game. Says someone asked him, "I wonder where this guy gets his speed from." And, and if anyone doesn't know, DJ is his dad, and he says, "I get it from the mother." Like it's just um, Kilkenny are there. In my opinion, have they made a really top team? If Dublin had everyone, I think it would have been a completely different game. And I don't think Kilkenny have made a really top team yet. And look, who am I to question what Brian Cody is going to do? Absolutely, I'm nobody. And if Brian Cody tears what I'm going to do, that would be the deal. But. Like I, I just feel come the semi final that they'll probably ha- would probably be meeting their first real, real maybe top three team of the year could potentially be 
think she'd be Galway, I suppose, you know, if they came through or, or maybe Tipperary if they come through or, you know, we see with Clare and Cork. Look, there's so many permutations, but I just feel yeah. that, that while they're winning these games, th- that they haven't met a really, really top team just yet. In my yeah. Well, that's interesting because they, they, in that case, like where the, the Limerick can wait in the wings now and have their three weeks, that's no harm for them. Kilkenny might not want the break if they feel like they haven't fully got going yet and suddenly you're facing a team from the qualifiers has come true and is raring to go. The other thing about that then is the legs of it. I, I'd be, I'm fascinated as to which side is better there because I would worry, say, with Clare, if they do come through Cork this week, that would be a very, very tough thing to do anyway. And then you've got another week straight away again mm-hmm. uh, against it'll be Dublin I'd imagine uh, because um, they've already played tip but anyway we, we that's a, that's a conversation for another day um, the thing it's funny we mentioned Keno Callahan we do rolling all-stars and you kind of trying to pick it as it goes in in the year and we I think we had five Dublin lads on for the last time we did the hurling and people were still giving out that Keno Callahan wasn't on you couldn't pick a corner back this year but I wonder yeah, I whether O'Donnell would they have risked O'Donnell if O'Callaghan was there? They might have put him into the middle, and you know that that you're losing. It's such a, dis- a disturbance to the team and the way you lay out when you lose somebody after two or three minutes as well. So it's just a pity that we were left in that position as kind of an underwhelming Leinster final. Then, uh, mm-hmm. but earlier in the day, we actually had two crackers, and you were you were you said you were in uh, Thurlis. You were commentating for Clare and Wexford, which yeah. looked like it was done and dusted early on and um i don't know what's up with that picture but uh it looked like it was really done early Dale, on. Dale and then and then claire just like i don't know whether it was the heat or whether it was what they just couldn't get a grip of the ball for a good that's some tan line and leech in by the way but they couldn't get a grip on the ball at all for a good 20 25 minute period they just had absolutely no position there were no 50 50s they were giving the ball away sloppily in defense and stuff like that can we? Is that a heat thing? Is it Wexford turning it up? I don't know what you're, what you're making this game altogether. For me, I'd be but worried as a Clare fan and really disappointed as a Wexford fan that I feel like an era is slipping away. Yeah, uh, I thought Clare were were much much the better hurling team overall yeah. for the whole day, and I would compare Mike to the way Clare would have hurled against Waterford in that it was a four point hammering. And I said that before, I thought Clare dominated every sector. And I thought this wasn't far off it. Like, um, I thought Clare were dominant every sector of the pitch. One nine, three pints up after the first quarter. And, yeah. you know, they had three wise in that, in, the, in, that, in that time as well. Like, they they just looked so composed on the ball. It's, it's knockout hurling, but Wexford looked a much more nervous team. Clare's tactics got their tactics spot on. And um, if Wexford went short... They weren't really, they, they were happy enough to get it to go along. Why? Because they would have had their half-back line set with Dermot Ryan, John Conlon, Paulie Fitz, Colin Galvin's yeah. dropping deep, Colin Malone is dropping uh, deep as well, Ed McCarthy's able to cover ground. Like, and, and Ryan Taylor is coming out, out the field as well. And they were able to mop that up and run, work the ball up the field. And usually, as, as I said, they'll usually, Claire always left one or two guys light. So they always had a target guy in there. So that mm. was usually Shanahan in this case. And, and you know, I thought, I thought Shanahan had a fine game for chipping in with two points. But if you look at Wexford, where they were turned over the most, that that middle third, Clare lads just swarmed and swarmed, like they did against Waterford. Didn't see it as much against Tip now, but they swarmed and swarmed. They, they turned Wexford over time and time again, used the ball well. And and Wexford, and I, I you feel sorry for the Wexford lads sometimes. I mean, like Matthew Hanlon or Liam Ryan got a lot of sharp puck out sometimes. They would have went maybe two or three yards. Kevin Foley dropping deep as well. But when he looked up, like I, I, it was a stranger for me. 
not one Wexford no. person made inside 50 yards. Not one. Just a sea of yellow jer- yellow and blue jerseys, like clear jerseys, and no Wexford lad to be picked out. And what worked for Wexford then was, and I'm sure all the traditionalists were delighted, they moved, they, in a, their full forward line finishing up was uh, Rory O'Connor, uh, Connor McDonald and Lee Chin. They pumped ball in the top of them. Those boys caught the ball or broke the ball and, and, they, and they got great awards out of it. Like, and, you know, they scored 1-5 in, in the last quarter, like, you know. But uh, for me, the damage was done in the first quarter, Mike. one nine three points, you know, um, you go up to halftime, then it's one fifteen to, to one ten. you know. Dio O'Keefe's goal, I thought, was a great example of players thinking about Sinbin and not pulling the lead down mm. because he went through. And if you watch it, three clear guys were coming on him. Like Dan McCormick, didn't want to get the hand in, didn't want to get the Sinbin because they knew it was going to be inside, it's going to be a penalty, and chances are they're going to score the penalty anyway. Let him go, couldn't get the flick off, and Dio O'Keefe scores a goal. And like Wexford outscored Clare 176 points in the second quarter. Yes. But I just always felt, I really did always feel okay. that, that Clare that Claire were going to win this game. And even Lee Chin's goal finishing up, I mean, Clare were six points up after Gary Cooney gets the ball from a massive high ball in from the great Tony Kelly, who, who hooked, blocked, worked ferociously hard for his team the other day. The great great thing for Clare that they're not depending on Tony getting scores from play, only only two from play the other day. Yeah. They have a great spread of scorers there now, so they do. Can we, tell me then, so one of the frustrations, again, and you're watching, sometimes when you're watching your own county, you could tell, you, you do well with tip, to be honest, because and especially you're so involved in it, that you can kind of separate the fan and the analyst, but you get lost in it when it's your own, when it's your own county. But for me, the, the frustration with Claire is like, is winning an unbelievable ball and then not using it. So the amount of time, the amount of like simple mistakes of just giving it directly to a Wexford lad or getting a, a high ball blocked up with a high hurl or something like that over the course of the game it was it must have been a phenomenal amount i'd love to actually watch it back and get some stats on it but i suppose you talked a couple of weeks ago about look getting shots off is the most important thing if they're wide they're wide that's your that's your tactic and that's you know that's we shouldn't be thinking as wide counts in the way we do sometimes that that's you know that's part of how you play is that cost of doing business almost if you play with the style they do is that you're going to give away some scores in that regard yeah, it's you are definitely. Yeah, but I thought like the efficiency of both teams, and I know you're you're looking at it as as, as a fan, Mike. You know, and uh, people, you know, with your heart on your sleeve, kind of looking at the team. But like, eleven wides for Clare, ten wides for Wexford in the whole game. It's not absolutely terrible either. Like, I mean, I thought there was a there was a fair amount of efficiency with with the ball, and yeah, was, there was possession. So a lot off. of that kind of you know. Ah, like, yeah, but I tell you, like Mike, as I said to you, like I mean, lads, you know, Clare were ferocious in the first quarter, you know, even in the second quarter as well, um, and and Wexford came back strong. But I tell you, it, it was roast and commentary yeah. in the game, let alone yeah. trying to do anything else. And it's just something that we you have to factor in over the weekend that. These guys are professional athletes in every way, but we're not professional athletes living in South America. Like we're professional athletes living in a small island of Ireland where we've got weather like we just hadn't seen in so so long. So you just you can't account for it. Like you could do altitude training or anything, but you can't account for giving your all in 29, 30 degrees of heat. And that was evident for me after 46 minutes. Uh, Damien Rick came on for Wexford, and in the next 10 minutes, there are nine substitutions made. Yeah. In the next 10 minutes because lads are they're out they're, they're flat and everything and with the heat and everything and, and you're trying to make the right decision but i i, I just think that the weather was a massive factor in, in some of the decision making at, at the weekend and getting getting lads on the pitch even the subs that came on subs that came on at 45 at 45 or 50 minutes if you look at them after the game and, and both sets of players both sets of players just sat down on the ground uh, yeah. after the game because they were wrecked 
you know, Wexford knew their year was over. Clare knew that they had to get themselves right for another qualifier round next weekend. But everybody was just zapped. They were zapped and they all sat down. And for me, Mike, that was a big thing and maybe some of the decision-making. And going on these long solo runs, losing the ball, it sucked the energy out of you. You could see John Conlon, he came out mm. and he was absolutely wrecked after making a few of those power runs. But, you know, it's it, it was very, very hard going for, for everyone playing anything at the weekend. If you were playing Junior F at the weekend, Mike, it would have been, it would have been hard going. Like, Absolutely, it's it's hard it's hard going for junior F most of the time. Though, to be honest, but uh, uh, yeah, look, I I think it, that can't be stated enough. Like, I mean, and uh, any criticism is 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 uh, you're hoping it's more systematic than personal because God only knows how they actually were even managing to hit the ball towards the end of the game or or win possession. But um, especially for that one, which was like a half one throw in and on the hottest day of the year. Uh, but we've got. I, I'm just intrigued to know now where Clare and Waterford, because we shouldn't know, like, you know, Waterford had to dig deep a little bit against, in fairness, Leash. What a turnaround this year for them. But they're uh, gone now, and Waterford did come through in the end uh, by five points in the end, uh, late goal there. But Clare and Waterford, in 2010, you guys lost in the first round to, to Cork and had to go kind of the scenic route. I know it's not the only time you did it, but in that was a sort of a momentum over the course of the year. The more championship games you got into it, the more this the tip team that would, you know, literally like one of the most famous tip teams you have, the 521s, all of that sort of stuff. You kind of came together over the course of that year and developed into what would win the All-Ireland. I can sense in Clare... Uh, for certain, we'll see what happens with Galway, Cork next week, Waterford, whoever it is, that they're coming alive. Their championship games are definitely helping them. They're becoming more cohesive as a team, so on and so forth. But at the same time, this is every week, and you're playing in the height of summer. We might never have a week like this next week, but it's going to be hard to recover from it. As a player, where would you want it? Would you want to be playing every week? Would you want a couple of weeks off? Would you rather be in Cork and Galway's position now or in Clare's? Um... Being honest, uh, I'd rather be in Clare's position. Um, okay. I just think, you know, you know, young, young team, you know, as in like, you know, they're okay. They have a lot of experienced guys, you know, Tony, Tony's there a while, John, John Connors there a while, but you know, still relatively young guys, 27, 28, 29 years of age. Like, I mean, they will, they, oh, how do I say this? Players nowadays are so in tune with sports science and so in tune with recovery and what actual recovery they need to do. And managements now are as well. The managements don't feel we have to get something in here now, Tuesday or Wednesday night, lads, and we have to get something into them. They know that no, these lads are fine. The guys who didn't get a bit of work into them, yeah, we can work them. But the guys who are playing 50 plus minutes, rest, recovery, rest, recovery, do maybe a really sharp session on Thursday or Friday night with the games on Sat and Saturday, probably Thursday night. Sat mm. sharp session, 30, 45 minutes. So I would personally rather be in Claire's position where they're coming through now after being through a ferocious battle, like. You know, and, and the whole world was against them. And I said it I said it during the week, last week. I said they were coming in so wounded with everything that was going on, you know, with the decision that was made against them in the Gaelic grounds, with, with all that was going on internally in Clare, with the Miners having such a heavy defeat last week to Cork by 40 points. And I think that group, you can see this group have so much respect for Brian Lohan as well and, and the Clare yeah. management. They're willing to do whatever it takes. And I think they're coming off it now in momentum. They, they, they know how to play together. They've been through really tough battles uh, with each other. And... They have a massive win in a knockout game. And you just cannot buy that, like, to win a knockout game of hurling. You know, that that when it, when it comes down to when it got close, Clare were able to keep pulling on, keep getting a couple of points. You know, the goal obviously killed off the game for me as well, six points up, that it was their game. And, you know, Galway haven't done that yet. I, I know there's a massive performance in them. And at Cork, I feel, did a lot of right against Limerick. But 
I would personally rather be in Clare's position to say, have momentum, confidence in the group. They'll be absolutely buzzing the train this week while they might be doing a lot. They've won a massive yeah. knockout game. And you know what? Whoever they play next will, will probably be, might be favourites. And that seems to suit this Clare group perfectly and suit Lohan as well, that he's just getting the most out of them all the time. And I think they're going to it in a great place, Mike. Okay, if we were to call Clare Cork Waterford Galway next week? Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to say Clare to be Cork. Uh, on, on the basis of never momentum. Be Cork, Shane. Uh, well, I don't know. No. I mean, like, uh, <laughs> we've had a few months of finals. We've had, uh, well, there was one match there. There was one match there a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> 2013. <laughs> the, the omens are there. You're getting get going through the, that system again. So, clear to be Cork, I think they're in a good place. Uh, they don't seem to have any injuries as well. And I think, I'm thinking that Shane, Donnell, Shane O'Donnell might be back in the fray as well, who could be a massive boost. The Watt for Galway one. Uh, Watford are going to come in. Liam Cahill made no bones about it. They, they, their performance for the whole match against Leash wasn't good enough. While Leash were were brilliant, they've been excellent the last two games, going fifteen and fifteen. Mm. And uh, I I just feel uh, it's it's not the same Watford group. And um, the, the, you know the, the big players are are tied to Burke is, is a massive massive loss. And I just think Galway will be so hurt. I think one nine from play was one of their lowest scores from play, and maybe three four years championship hurling for Galway. Mm. And I just feel they'll have a massive point to prove. And Shane O'Neill. Could be head on the block here as well for for, for that for Shane O'Neill because you know for him now with, with the current group of players he has Mike let's be honest and the talent he has they need to be getting back into an all the final for for him for it to be seen as some bit of a successful year so massive game for them so I just think massive massive game for Galway and I'm going to go with Galway to beat Watford. Okay, right. So big calls there. Last message here, Paul uh, Tierney on Facebook saying, "Good as a tip fan, all the expected usual comments. Okay, uh, deserve it to a point, <laughs> but now tip need to finish it off. Uh, but neutrals looking on must have mixed views on Limerick as they aren't that unbeatable as they seem. I don't know. Me and you have probably a different thought on that. That maybe they're more unbeatable than they seem. But yeah. I suppose, I suppose the last thing is that from Tip's point of view, can Tip come back from this? We'll talk about it in a couple of weeks. Obviously, they've got a couple of weeks off now as they wait to see what happens in the next next week. Our Tip, um, it's hard to come back from that kind of shell shock in the second half. But I suppose having the week off is definitely useful. Yeah, definitely, definitely is. Um, they'll, they'll regroup, you know, better man than Liam Sheedy to regroup them, get the confidence going. I think, you know, hindsight is a great thing, I suppose, but we will, we, we, we really will have to look at our, look at our bench and look at getting these guys on the field uh, earlier or maybe giving them starts and just, you know, I suppose you don't, you don't learn things unless, unless you're involved in them, like, and uh, we will, we will definitely need to look at that, um, change, changing around maybe, Few players changing around positionally, as I said, get get some of maybe the, the younger guys in, in there as well. Get get them the experience of the of, of knockout hurling as well, uh, which which is massive something you can't buy. But no, look, I think they'll regroup, they'll go again. Um, to be massive now with with the qualifiers, around the qualifiers the weekend, Mike, just to see what way it's going to work out. I think yeah. the only way we can have a draw is if Watford and Cork win. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, it's kind of you know if Clare win, it's going to be Tip and and the and uh, the winners of uh, Watford and, and Galway like so. Uh, look, it's going to be very, very interesting couple of weeks as well. Like yeah. you know, so they'll, they'll they'll rally the troops and they'll they'll go again. But uh, look, tip, I wouldn't. I'm not. I'm not writing them off by, by any means. I think uh, I think they'll they'll take confidence from the massive performance they had in the first half and try and learn from where it went completely wrong in, in the second half for them. Absolutely. Well, Shane McGrath, thanks so much for joining us today. Great stuff as always, and we'll chat to you uh, next week. Cheers, Mike. Thanks, Bill. 
thanks a million to Shane. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. Um, you can just hit the subscribe button on YouTube if you're watching it there. If you're watching it, if you're listening to the podcast, you can subscribe there, of course, and always leave us a comment and an L rating there while you're at it. Right, we're going to get to uh, the guests and the handicaps a little bit later on. We're going to look at the best moustaches in GEA, of course. And uh, right now, we're going to get inside the game with Mars Brosnan. Now, as always, we are joined uh, to bring us inside the game by Morris Brosnan, all the way from Australia. Morris, uh, how's it going? It was a great weekend. We've talked to Shane about the, the, the massive hurling games already, but like football was really to the fore this weekend as well. It's this crazy condensed championship. Actually, so much so before we start that Dublin were a goal up against old rivals Mead. Uh, the six in a row was within, or the seven in a row was within touching distance of crumbling. And the whole country was watching the Munster final, or pervert, like if you want to conversely, if you want to look at it the other way, is like Munster final, hurling final, one of the marquee events of the summer, and you know you want the GEA community, not necessarily just people in hurling counties watching it. It's such a thrilling game, and you go on the Twitter timeline, and understandably, people from Dublin and Mead and other like elsewhere as well. Let's face it, are are are, are accounting for Mead's you know incredible comeback. Uh, against the Dubs, you're just thinking like, what are why are these two games on at the same time? I know we have a condensed format this year, but even so, surely this isn't the way they should be doing things. Yeah, it's funny. Like you know, I think I said this to you before, but uh, you know, when you're, I think when you're abroad, the the mild inconvenience of getting up early is feels like a huge commitment. So you are a lot more invested in games. So if they're poor games, you know, you're you're mortally offended. You know, like uh, I can remember times during uh Kerry and tip where you know it was like an existential crisis for me I was like what am i doing like why am i getting up to watch this game it's this boring game so conversely on the other side of that when you get a good game you know you're beyond grateful it's just it's unbelievably enthralling i don't know what it is and so you know you mentioned the me game but it's just something about it so for my own personal circumstances here in melbourne getting up you know switching over from a tip in limerick and just the pure buzz and uh you're nearly emotional like the sound of the crowd everything watching that second half as limerick is coming back in Sipping over to the Munster, you know, sipping over to from Munster to Leinster, and the buzz in that ground as well, you know, and that we've mentioned this before about the importance of the crowd, but you know, the sound of the crowd, the the absolute, you know, you can hear the Dublin fans olaying, Mead fans booing, the, it, you know, it, it, there's a genuine tension in the Leinster final, and I was, you know, as great and as positive as you want to be about that, I was kind of thinking it's a real shame that I didn't, you know, or a lot of people didn't get the experiences from the offset, didn't get to see this build, you know, it's. A, like the condensed calendar is is a problem. I'm talking about that a lot. I'm also, you know, uh, I I've been nonstop complaining about uh, the TV offerings. You know, I just I just think in 2021 what we're getting is is just it's not good enough, really. You know, from other than I think punditry this year has been very good, but other than that, from everything from you know uh, whatever be be camera work, be scheduling, I just think it's not right. You know, um, I'm sure you know you were probably the same watching Claire the day before. Suddenly, you know, Leash and Waterford, an unbelievably neck, you know, yeah. unbelievably exciting game. Uh, I had to watch it back the next day because that game, the two games were going up against each other. The same sport going up against each other when we have a condensed calendar. You know, it's mm. not like you know. The, um, if I, this is understandable for something like Lee, but you're talking about championship. You know, uh, a do or die game. This is probably the last we'll see of two of these teams, and uh, you're competing against you know that the one code. It just feels, yeah, if something feels off about it. It does. Uh, Kind of, it's very frustrating, you know. I don't, even you know, I don't know if you can have even just an hour's leeway. I'm sure there's television or whatever it is uh, leeway, but you know, at the same time, the Dublin game wasn't even on TV. It was GA no, Go. Exactly, so yeah, 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 yeah it yeah. is like it's. And it's funny you say even the hurling thing. Like that's a, it's annoying because if you're a Wadford fan or you're a Leash fan or or any like just a general hurling fan who would like to watch that game, it was a thriller. You 
you know, you're going to go towards the bigger game if you're a neutral or if you're a Claremont extra fan, and it's kind of a mild inconvenience. But it's in this particular case, it didn't make any sense to me that they were on up against each other. But in general, over the course of a championship, that might happen, and you're kind of saying, "Fine, look, we don't get to see every game and so on and so forth, right?" And we never did. But I, always, I think with something like this, when GA Go is available and you can buy in this match for a five, or you might have a season pass or whatever it is, it's like. Why would you split a, a GAA audience between people exactly, who like yeah. football and people like hurling when there's so much room for both? And it's one of the issues that across the association, I just feel like making a decision like that yesterday, I just amplifies how much, in my opinion, it doesn't seem to matter to the people who run things that we're getting more and more every year, I think, into more of a hurling crowd and a football crowd. We're actually one of the few podcasts left that actually cover both sports, if you know what I mean. <laughs> And understandably so, people do say, oh, we'll have a hurling show, we'll have a football show, you know. Anyway, let's move on to the football bit itself, right? Because what I noticed is that an undeniable fact now that uh, the seven in a row is gone, uh, Desi Farrell should probably do a Babs Keating on it, and they should get Michael Bond in to maybe rescue the season. There's no chance that Dublin come back from beating uh, the eighth best team in the country by six points. It's done. Kerry basically booking the parade at this stage. Uh, you know, with maybe Tyrone sort of hanging around or Mayo sort of thinking maybe they have a chance they can feed on the scraps, but Kerry favourites, you know, and then you have Tyrone and Tyrone and uh, and, and uh, Mayo looking on, and then Kildare really probably the only other team that are sort of thinking of maybe Kildare and Monaghan being the others uh, that could have a chance of sniffing out the All Ireland Jet. Yeah, like uh, you know, I don't. Um, I obviously don't see it being as black and white as that. I don't think you do either. But uh, at the same time, there is like this is the most vulnerable Dublin have been for me in you know arguably a decade you know like or longer you know like twenty fourteen was such a shock that wasn't coming I would I personally didn't see that as Dublin being vulnerable so kind of from twenty thirteen onwards you saw this juggernaut like building 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 and then you know the thing about me it's we're going to talk about structures later about in terms of um, game plans and tactically but the thing with Dublin is you know it's not it's not to do with structure or I don't I arguably I don't think it's you know. Uh, a lot of people are talking about their players are missing. I don't think it's personnel. Like there's something deeper, like more intrinsically wrong to my mind with this Dublin team. Like it's just it's so it's weird. It's really weird to watch uh, Dublin trying to close out a game and in a row, Kendrick Kenny with a better option available, kick you know a wide from inside you know twenty one was he you know the there at the end of the game. A couple of minutes later, Bugler, who you know has been heralded as this the new wave of uh, uh, hardworking dogged wing forwards for Dublin, kicks another wide on the same side. David Brown gets a shot, a ball directly from front of goal, you know, inside the forty-five, and drops into a keeper's hands. You know, that's that's three in a row. Like it's just, it's. Um, I don't know, like how much you can necessarily read into it. I'm sure they're Dublin have always been uh, training, like uh, you know, in terms of periodization, they're they're peaking for a final. I I would imagine, but it's it is it's very weird to see these really like uncharacteristic mistakes Dublin make. It's it's just not like them, and you know. Um, as much as you know, you want to give uh, Mead credit, and you know they they were you know they were really dogged, and they hung in. You know, I you know looking back on over it, the game looked like it, it was getting away from them. They they came tearing back, uh, but you know at the same time, well it's it's not to take away from how good Mead were to say that Dublin were way off it. You know, like way way off the standards. If you were to compare that Dublin the way they were in that kind of middle third uh, period to the Dublin that blitzed Mayo in that famous semi final uh, two years ago. 
it's it's chalk and cheese you know that is it's absolutely polar opposites and it, that to me is the most striking thing that you know the players who are making mistakes you know james mccarthy getting involved in stuff constantly constantly getting involved in stuff um you know uh, brian friend kicking the ball away like this is stuff that we just wouldn't these are you know uh, you, you can say the players are missing and that's definitely one, you know, it's a factor undeniably, but at the same time, this, this stuff is deeper to my mind, you know, the, those mistakes just aren't Dublin, the Dublin that we know mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, look, I mean, I've no issue with talking about vulnerability and the fact that it might be a, a more competitive championship and they're there to be got and I think that's actually brilliant, that's amazing for the game that there is genuine oh, yeah. people who can win, but the idea that they're being written off, I feel like if the if the two halves had been flipped around we'd be talking about them in the same way we're talking about Limerick today. You know, yeah, as in, you know, like Limerick definitely, I mean, you were talking about this yesterday, I talked about it with Shane already, but like Limerick were definitely lacking the famous I word that we're not allowed to talk about in analysis <laughs> of intensity. But they, when they picked it up, they showed what they could do. And, and I think that's harder to do when you've got the lead like Dublin did yesterday. And you just wonder, like my concern with them would be, it is, it, it's not even personnel because they've always had such great strength and depth. But when you lose Paul Mannion, you lose Jack McCaffrey, you lose Stephen Cluxton. Like Stephen Cluxton is just an island on his own, and that and how big a deal that is, and various others that have gone. Like you know, but even little things like Eric Lowndes leaving the panel last week, right? The strength that I was looking at their bench yesterday. Go now, in fairness, a lot of these guys could end up being amazing, but I just don't know that yet. You know, as in we haven't seen the usual five years of them making regular championship appearances without making a massive impact and then suddenly becoming the main player on the team. That's the way Dublin have been doing it because they've been so good for so long, in much the way Kilkenny used to do that. Now we're kind of looking at guys being thrown in. If you want to change a game, you're going to have to bring in unheralded, unknown guys. And that could, I just think that, that that's a question mark, massive question mark. Like you know, And then you're talking about maybe that there isn't the same cohesion because we forget another personnel change in... Jim Gavin to Desi Farrell. I know they've won all Ireland since, but you can't discount that either. So it's all to play for, which is great, isn't it? Yeah, I, I like it. You know, the, you know, there's two things you said there that I think are, are really good points. One is, you know, there is 100% within this, the conversation about Dublin over the last um, couple of weeks is the, the barometer we set for this Dublin team is so high that uh, we, you know, would get massively excited by what was a fairly comfortable. Uh, Lens semi final, you know, win, you know, ultimately, you know, yeah. so like, so that that's definitely one hundred percent a factor. And the second thing is also is just the fact that um the the inevitability that was around this team isn't there when you as you mentioned these aren't players that we've seen do it before. You know, it just adds a question mark. And you know, you know, look at the balance probability. They probably are still good enough. You know, this is uh, an elite level team. This has run a production line like the, the likes of which we've never seen. But just the fact that there is that question mark is is great. You know, it's, it's exactly what the the game needs it'll get you a lot more excited you know in terms of uh, like we've had what was a fairly underwhelming uh, championship until now suddenly it, it just adds a dimension that we in reality like we haven't had for you know as i said like probably eight or nine years yeah okay the one other thing i noticed even though i said like you know you have paddy small uh con and uh costello and dean rock all playing and the funny thing is like they're easily four of the best six forwards in Dublin before they wouldn't have all fit into the same team and there just wasn't room for them and it was as simple as that it was like we're going to have to drop one of these top top players um but now they all start and I just I remember I just there was a little moment just looking at the team sheets yesterday and I was going hmm that's a sign that there isn't as much there as there was you know anyway we'll see what happens they've got Kildare next and that's the final a couple of weeks but um it was all about Ulster this weekend really like I mean an unbelievable game on Saturday played like under the shadow of this awful tragedy 
But, you know, the way Monaghan came out and blitzed Armagh so early and for Armagh to come back and so on, it, it had its own story as well. Like, it was one of the best games of football I can remember. I'm, the, you know, 2014 All-Ireland semi-finals between Kerry and Mayo jumped straight to mind. It was that kind of thing. Possibly with a slightly dip in quality in terms of defensiveness, I would say. But And then yesterday, this intriguing game as well. Um, less exciting, I would say, in many ways. But, you know, in terms of its uh, consequences almost far higher, you know? So, like, in terms of, like, I know it was funny because watching Pat Spillane and Sean Cavanagh at the start of the, the broadcast yesterday, thought, like, trying to big up Ulster football and Pat apologising and so on and so forth. It was, like, it was a bit of dramedy, basically, with that. But it is true that Ulster football is so turned on its head now that it's, like, instead of going, oh, God, I couldn't watch that. I have to watch it for because I have to talk about it tomorrow. It's, like, this is the one I'm looking forward to. <laughs> and I want to... <laughs> it's, like, the other stuff is the stuff I'll watch because of duty. Yeah, and you know, this is something I was thinking about this uh, like last night actually when I was watching the game. You know, like I, to to a certain sense, because of what you're saying there, I wonder. You know, I was going to come on. I was going to talk about Tyrone and structurally, and you know, you you like nearly laud them for what they did. You know, because they didn't blink. You know, they uh, they pushed up on the kickouts. They got their matchups right. They structure. You know, they left two up, and then I was kind of thinking. You know. Actually, this just justifies our criticism for the last couple of years. You know, like I, I don't necessarily think this stuff is—it's not that innovative, to be honest. You know, this it's stuff we should have seen before. You know, it, like so. To a, I don't know how much. Um, I, to, to a, you know, I kind of in hindsight now, thinking back, you know, like obviously, look at they executed it very well and uh, during the final. But I, I don't know if I would, you know, like overplay the significance of what they did because you know this is like we're not, we nobody ever called for revolution when it came to their criticism of these teams you know it's been a big topic recently is this idea of defensive football and i don't I mean i personally know you know i can't speak for anybody else i don't think i would ever criticize the team for setting up defensively but i would criticize the team for having a bad game plan for we talked about this um what was it two weeks ago with roscommon you know i didn't criticize roscommon for defending criticizing for setting up a way that doesn't suit their players you know you'd four forwards who weren't suited playing that game so either commit to what you're trying to do or get a game that you get the best out of what's at your disposal but falling between two stools is just uh, like it, that's where the criticism comes in, you know. And uh, I think there's definitely a case for Tyrone within that. And then you know, like even you know, uh, in that conversation, you know, you can there's there's two things I think we'll come back to this again and again. This championship, you know, you've got like is it about the the players and as we you know the the dreaded intensity and the conversation about that, and then the, the structure and you know what comes first, you know, is it the application or is it the structures? And you know, in reality, it's it's both. You know, it's 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 not one or the other. So you know, there's not a structure in the world. That would have compensated for Armagh's defending for those the first uh, goals yeah. in the first half, those first four goals. You know, like there's you could I, other than setting up with four sweepers inside your goal mount, you will not stop a player running down the middle a one-two hand pass. You know, a one-two hand pass and scoring a goal. Like Jim McGinnis said at halftime, that's if you saw that in under twelve, you'd be like, listen, like that's that's not how we play football. So there's not you know that's not there's no structure. It's not about Ulster football. It's nothing about that. That is just application. That's just you know whatever it is mental lapse. I think they started very very slowly. Armadis is started very very slowly yesterday, and then the other conversation then is about the structures and it's about what that gives you. And I think that's where what you know Tyrone a players like broadish they've got unbelievable athletes. I think that really told at the end how how quickly they they finished. And you know you look at the way they lined up in the middle third. You know like you look at Sloden Hart, McGeary, Myler just romping forward, Burns. You know that that's uh, another level of of what whatever you want to call it, intensity <laughs> if you want to go down that route. But uh, at the same time, then you know they have a structure around that that allows them to get the most out of the disposal. So they're leaving two up, which is great to see. So even you know even if they don't actually use that, the option is there, and that's where I think you know that's where well I personally what I was always calling for. It's just you know it's about a balance. You know it's 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 not one or the other. It's about you know 
if you set up, you can get a blank. The idea of setting up a blank of defense is, is, is all fine and good, and you get a lot of players behind the ball. But what do you do when you have the ball? You know, if you don't have a structure for as an outlet, as a pair up the field, what do you do? You know, you're running uh, the ball up the field, and suddenly that becomes a lot more easier to defend against because you know, as a defender, you know their their only option here is to put head down and drive forward. And that that for me that was so patently obvious this weekend. So you know, you go back to the first uh, McGeary's first score. Uh, what happens there? Morgan pings this this uh, kick out um, set play that they do over and over again, which is kind of in over the midfield. They pull everyone to one side, let, uh, clear out that side, and just it's, it's like a race. So Peter Hart raced onto the ball, and the reason he's fouled there isn't because they want to stop Peter Hart running the ball. The reason they foul there is because Peter Hart looks up and he sees McGeary inside in the edge of square, you know, one on one before McFadden the sweeper can drop back. So that option is there now. So even though they don't use it, the pressure is on the defense. We need to get to him. We need to stop him because he can do that. And sure enough, they get the free to kick a score from that free. And that happened again and again. You know, the fact that um, you look at McGeary's first score when he, you know, I don't know if you remember, he's coming down the right. Uh, McFadden tries to come across to him and he gets the ball over the bar. But the reason McFadden can't go and pressure the man with the ball is because he's conscious that if I leave space, they will kick past the ball into this area. That option is there. So even though they don't do that, the fact that they have that option, that's the threat that they want. You, you know what the greatest example of this actually is, Mick? It's not even Gaelic football. It's hurling. It, I, I put this yeah. clip up on Twitter if anybody didn't see it. Uh, Anthony Daly did some good analysis on it on Sunday game last night. He called it the, the, the dagger. And it's a point just before the water break. Kilkenny, uh, you know, the pressing, like this, this savage worker that we've come, it's become the Cody mantra, up the field, Harry and Dublin. And, you know, uh, initially I was like, you know, that was, it's, it's, you know, if anybody didn't see it, it's an incredible score. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, classic Kilkenny, you know, tackle, 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 turnover, score. And, uh, but at the same time, you know, I was watching that and I was like, why didn't Dublin, you know, Rush is one of them, why didn't you just pump the ball, get rid of it? Yeah. And the reason he didn't pump the ball is because you watched the play before that. And uh, the, the the way that score comes down the other wing, right, Kilkenny's other side, and you look at, on the 65, Paddy Deegan has a ball, and pressure on them there is Crummy, uh, Keenan Sullivan, Donald Burke, you know, they're, they're all uh, Sutcliffe, all there surrounding them, which means when Dublin get the ball back, they have no out ball, they have no option, you know, and this is the way they have committed to play, you know, they need they need other players to work like dogs and get back. But if, you know, from Russia's perspective, he's there and he's saying to himself, you know, if I poke this ball to the field, we're guaranteed to lose it. It's a one-on-one, one-on-four, maybe one-on-three at, at best, but we are guaranteed to lose it. If I carry the ball out, it might be, you know, a 30% chance that we hold on to the ball, but this is the only option I have. So if you don't give yourself that option, you know, whether that be, this is any team, you know, this could be Tyrone, this could be Donegal, this could be Dublin, this, any hurling Gaelic football, it's true for any sport. If you don't give yourself that option, you become predictable. And that's, you know, that's what, well, certainly from my perspective, that's what I'm critical of. It was never, ever about game plans. It was never ever about your strategies, your approaches, set up however you want. But if it's predictable, it's easy to stop. And that's, you know, the, the greatest telling point of all this was a lot of times the teams did that, they were losing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like if you're relying always on runners outside you, to kind of work the ball up, then that's you do what Kilkenny does and defend from behind and from the side. Darren McCurry uh, is was actually the focus of you talking about this on uh, on on the GA embedded article you did for Balls during the week that people should go back and read. And it, it's a lot of what you were talking about there, and 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 you know a, a slightly more positive outlook from Tyrone in that way of just like making sure that you know there is that outlet there but it's funny because if you look at this year of like uh, McKenna kind of back you know obviously he was back last year but kind of back full-time in the setup this year and you would have thought that you know Colin McShane would probably have at this stage probably a bigger role we'll probably see him a little bit more later in the year it's Darren McCurry wasn't the person we were thinking of as going to be Tyrone's marquee forward but you know again on yesterday he's he's showing at this stage that he is kind of the man for them at the moment you know it's been it's been a long time coming with this guy as well 
Yeah, it definitely has. And you know what's interesting about like from McCurry for me, this goes back to what we talked about in that article. I talked about you know the idea. Um, Sean Kavanagh had it was uh, like it got a fairly heated debate within Tyrone and outside Tyrone when Sean Kavanagh moved into punditry. And very early on, he was critical of the you know he said he, it was the famous thing was Tyrone do have marquee forwards, but we don't get the best out of them. So and that goes back to our conversation earlier. You know, is it about players or is it about their approach? And as I said, it's about both. So you know. Uh, there's definitely things McCurry could have done better previously. There's definitely things Tyrone could have done to help him. But now, you know, the structure, the whole point is that, you know, you can see that the structure is set up so that even if McCurry doesn't necessarily fire, you know, like at times yesterday, I would have been critical enough of what, how McCurry played. He kicked up the, the wide on the right from an impossible angle. And that was actually off what we're talking about here. That was a kick pass, a deep kick pass. He gets the ball, spins around. And the reason he's trying to kick that score straight away is because he knows if he holds onto the ball or tries to recycle it, Donegal is really mobile, kind of middle third, will come back and swallow him. So once the kick pass is in, you kind of need to make most use of it um he also the one in the second half where um they pushed up and patents kick out the ball breaks falls his feet and again he snaps shot at it but the whole as i said earlier the whole point is that even if you know it doesn't mccurry doesn't necessarily have to fire if you have this structure because he can set it up for somebody else so you know how many times did you see mccurry um, get as that option break get on the ball and then suddenly he's swarmed with runners so you're combined you know you a you're supporting the supply of the ball inside and the only reason you can do that in reality is if you have runners so if you have you know these like savage athletes that Tyrone have to help support him so he's not operating in isolation now because he has bare support in him he's also in a structure that gets the best out of him so even if he doesn't necessarily fire you know suddenly at the very end of the game Matt Donnelly comes to the fore and uh, you know is that score he kicked at the very end of the game or he hand passed over to Barisari on the loop that's a classic example of what we're talking about here. He doesn't have to, because he's not back hurrying out the ball, when Tyrone get that ball back and move it quickly, he's an option already there. He's just there, you know, it's it's an outlet. So previously what would happen there is Tyrone would build, they'd be running the ball forward. And that's, as I said, you know, that's suddenly when Donegal, the way the games would go, and the reason we get so frustrated by it is the team would run the ball forward, they'd come up to outside 45, recycle, the other team would drift back with them, pressurise there, recycle, 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 try and work a scoring option, either a turnover or score, same thing back. And it's very kind of basketball-like. The fact now that you have some bit of variance, even if you don't use it, the fact that the option is there, that means that mm-hmm. when those pairs are set up defensively on, front, on, on the 45, they know now that, listen, I have to be conscious of in behind me because they could just as easily kick this ball in to McCurry or Donnelly yeah. as, you know, McGeary or somebody else can run past me. So even if they don't do it, the fact that the option is there is the whole point of what we're, try- what we're talking about here. You know, you, you just give, uh, it's not about what it does for you, it's what it does to the opposition. It gives, it's, it's an added question that, uh, that you know, will inevitably, inevitably lead to higher scores and lead to more productivity for your attackers. Yeah. Yeah, not as a productive game, I suppose, but I do think he had in kind of the middle third of the match. I thought that he had uh, some uh, big influence. But yeah, yeah. In, it, worth a read on, on, on Mars' piece on Balsali for what he's talking about there. And again, one, one other thing to emphasize as well is that it's not as if these guys have free roll that they can't work. They do harry and they do they do all the pressing and they do all the tackling in their area. They just don't chase it all the way back to the to, to the other the opposition goal. They say they have positions and they have, you know, which is great. But you still have to work as hard in those positions as you do anywhere else exactly that's i'm really glad you said that that's actually a great point because the the best example of that is the donegal penalty the, you know the the reason defensive teams will point to the downside of this kind of stuff is because you know if you look back on that penalty it's a ferocious press tyrone are fully committed players up the field trying to get the ball but as soon like i was watching that and as soon as uh, uh donegal managed to get the ball to Patton and move up the other side straight away you're you're sitting forward and think something's going to happen here because too many Triumph players are now on the wrong side of the ball so when they get that press on they really need to get a stop or you know as as you see 
uh, they're overran and it ends in a because end of the goal chance in this case it ends in a penalty but that's the downside of you know of this approach and this is the same for any sport when you press high like that and if if you can bypass that press suddenly you're in trouble because you're exposed on the other side so that that's the you know yeah the, the, and that and by the way you know when we talked about the art of defending a couple of weeks ago mick the, this was the point of what we were saying you know if you're a one-on-one defender and you're standing beside a guy put a pressure on the man delivering the ball that's when you give your defenders a bit of a chance because the ball won't be perfect they can spoil it they can try and break it then but so it does you know like as i said before this all this stuff is interconnected you know if you're you're pressing the ball maybe you don't necessarily get a turnover but that pressure on the ball can definitely damage and simultaneously if you're an opposition and you can see a team get that high press if you can get past it you like as donegal did you have to get in a goal you know that's when you can make hay in that opportunity because you have uh, you have numbers yeah, absolutely. And you have to think balance it up because I, I actually find this interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll move on because I want to talk about something else. But like the, you have to remember now, especially even more so now, football is a high scoring game. It's not like soccer where one goal will define everything or whatever. Like that. Yeah. you have to play in the way that suits you getting the better over 70 minutes. If you concede some over that time, that's just the cost of the business. And it's, it's, it's the first time in, gen, in a generation, maybe two generations, where there's been that sort of acceptance. You know, cost of doing business is conceding a little bit. You know, and it's, it's great, and it's made it such a better game to watch. But it's also you've more chance of winning because you're playing to your strengths. It's got, and we're literally going full circle to the start of this conversation. Then you know, and that's, I think that sums it up. Uh, what about the losers here? Just really briefly, because for Armagh, it's like another. They haven't won two games in Ulster. I think I don't know how long it is. I think since the last time they were in the Ulster final, which is like ten years ago or something like that, right? Uh, they only beat Antrim this year, but they had that. 25 minutes where they were outstanding and they stayed up in Division 1 and it might keep them on for another year of development. They've got some really good players, especially up the field. And then for Donegal, it's like another year of promise that ends, you know, really been killed for two years in a row now by having no back door, I would say, you know, and then just like over, done. Michael Murphy has the worst 10 minutes of his career where he picks up two bookings and misses a penalty in the middle of it and Neil McGee's already gone off injured and you're like, Shit, we're done here, you know. And I, I like if that was a fifteen fifteen game for more than the forty thirty minutes that it was, we don't know how who would be. I think Donegal would have won the game, but I I don't know that either. I mean, that's unfair to Tyrone, but it was kind of done as soon as he was sent off. Yeah, like it's it's interesting because you know, like you could make a case there. There's very similarities between these two teams in terms of you know they both management have had big long spells, been trying to develop a very consistent game plan, and yet still, to my mind, you know, like. Uh, I really hate hindsight analysis and I think Armagh gave themselves a really good opportunity to win the game against Monaghan and they just fell short of the line because of like they started so poorly and they probably ran out a bit of legs but you know if I was looking forward you know I don't think you, you blow up the script by any stretch of imagination they've got some really good you know you look at the lads they brought on uh, Ross McQuillan back from Melbourne now there's a lot of excitement about him here here you know in, in Essendon that they they seem to have a lot of you see him coming off the bench like it'd be interesting to see how, how he develops Connor Turbert coming off the bench again and turning Kelly you know the three of them alone the, the impact that they had from an Armagh perspective so Armagh strike me as a team that are building and like this might seem harsh but you know, Donegal, you're looking at a generational Donegal team and generational talents like Michael Murphy and Neil McGee going off injured. And I don't see, you know, as good as their young development players are, it's just purely because the barometer that they'll set with other teams. I don't see a similar level of player coming. So I think this is a, a much bigger loss for Donegal. It does feel like the end of something for them. Whereas, you know, I even though, you know, it doesn't make sense because, you know, McGee, he was there when he was appointed, what was it, 2015, 2014, and uh, has a, you know, a, a good long crack of it. I still see, you know, a huge amount of positivity around Armagh 
Whereas it's hard, it's really hard to see what uh, Donegal do next. I think they will always be around this level. They will always be competitive. But in terms of getting to that next level, you know, getting to the um, I, like I'd probably make a case they're not even in the top tier, really. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, the you look back on the Cavan game. I know, like, listen, they're shoved from back door, but that was a bad loss. The biggest one for me was the Mayo game down in Casabar when the reliance on Michael Murphy was just so badly exposed that day. Um, and he was like simultaneously, you know, he was the best player in the pitch, but he was also the worst player in the pitch because he was taking on shots that he shouldn't be taking on. He was kicking wides, and the reason he was doing that is because there's nobody else there to do it for him. So, you know, uh, I, I think that's, you know, I, I don't I don't see them, um, what's the word, declining drastically by any stretch of imagination. But I also don't see where the big improvement comes for them. I don't see the huge upside, and I do see that for, for Emma. Yeah, well, interesting one. And we'll have plenty of time to talk about about Monaghan. And, like, we've kind of glossed over them, but, like, in many ways, what a performance in their forwards. And it's just, I just, I don't know. I'm loving the new Conor McManus, not the main guy role. Like when yeah. McCann's kind of taken over and he just still just oozes this class that you see seven times a game and that's it really, you know, and then McCarron is sort of dominating. I don't know. I just think Mana and very, very good team, possibly underrated, but you would worry that they let Armagh come back into it. And we've already talked about Tyrone. If you were to call next weekend's games, then Cork and Kerry. Darren said that Cork had no chance last week. Would you go along with that? You're, two counties, you're, you're Kerry and Galway, man. So it's a big weekend. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I kind of would. I don't. Like, I, 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 Cork kind of would frustrate me a big time. You know, they, you look back on how they played against Limerick, and uh, you know, you know, last ten minutes they're only up by four. If it wasn't for that goal, which is a very poor goal for Limerick to concede, it's you know, it's a game there. Um, only two of their four starting forwards scored. They have this really mobile four. I don't see how you change that because you actually need they need the stars, Roy Dean, Brian Hartnett, uh, because they're going to have to track. You know, if Kerry go the way they did last week, but Gavin White, Thomas Sullivan, and um, and Breen on the other wing. You know, Cork have to track them, and I don't see. I just don't see how they carry that threat. You know, they set a trap for Kerry last year, and you know, Kerry happily walked blindfolded into it. But uh, I don't see them doing that again. So unless they can do something different, you know, I, I did think the only the only case I can make for Cork is when they in the second half when they brought on Mark Collins and they had you know Luke Connolly tried to do this job. I don't think how I don't know how well it worked on the forty five kind of out ball, and you had options inside. You know, bad. They brought on Michael Hurley. Brian Hurley is just an unbelievable bit of stuff. That's that. This goes back to our conversation earlier about a, a kicking game versus a running game. But if they're committed to this game where they've got a mobile territory, they're going to have to run the ball. Um, I don't see them get, getting enough chance to break the way you know you don't kick carry will be naive again. So if they did something like that, maybe you know. But no, I, but to be honest, yeah, I think um, uh, carry are move, moving too well, and they demonstrated the necessary intelligence gets separated. I don't think they'll be caught again. All right. Yeah. Well, we thought that last year, but I tend to agree. Yeah. And then lastly, it's a Connacht final in Crow Park for the first time ever. Uh, if you any uh, any is this one of the weekends that you kind of say, Jesus, I wouldn't mind now being back in back in the old sod, or are you happy enough to yeah, get up big early time. in the morning? No, no, big time. This they, they're going. You know, uh, I was thinking this at the weekend. You know, like uh, uh, a because I'm driving demented by the. <laughs> poor TV offerings that I keep bringing up. Uh, people on my Twitter know too well how frustrated I am. So the fact that you can't get at games, I really think if you're not at games, you've been doing such a disservice by the offerings. That's a conversation for another day, but uh, I just don't think, you know, from we're missing kickouts, we're, like, some of the camera work at the weekend was pretty poor. Uh, this games I can't even watch. So you don't appreciate that. And then secondly, you know, just the, this is a rivalry that's been, you know, like Galway were, you know, I, it was one of the biggest sore points in Galway for years. The, 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 I'm talking here about 2014-2015 when they got a couple of scutchings off Mayo. There was a three in a row at, at the time, um, and since then they've really come back. I, you know, I, I was in at the qualifier when Mayo bet them the fight, Kevin Walsh's final game of that rain, 
And uh, since then, you know, all the stuff that we wanted to go and start moving towards, I think it's been there. I think you look at the results, maybe not necessarily hasn't, but you have to consider the conditions at the same time. And um, I think the Scout team are more than really nicely. Like, you know, if, if you're looking for, I, I don't know, they're probably even enough. I think uh, the way Gala are going, I would expect a huge performance out of them. I think they have this stretch, they have the ability, you know, the huge men are on the middle, but they have an outball on the 45. Shane Walsh, by all accounts, it will be fit, you know, play him on the 45. Uh, Matthew Chaney around the middle, I, I think, Against Mayo, you might see Matrichini go in on the edge of square. He might actually start uh, inside, um, and that'll be an interesting wrinkle, you know, because they, they have, you know, I, it might be Cook and Conroy maybe starting around the middle of the field, and you could see him further up the the, uh, the pitch, and suddenly then that changes the complexion of the whole kind of Galway attack. So I think, um, yeah, from, from my perspective, I think that what what I've seen of Galway so far, I expect huge. Result. I think that that could be whatever about the. If I was to make a prediction, I think the carrying Cork game might be a bit underwhelming, but I think that game could be an absolute cracker. I could, both teams going at it the way that we want to see football being played, and uh, both them kind of motor nicely, you know, if you got judge your form before this. Absolutely, yeah. Well, listen, thanks a million, Morris. We look forward to those games next week, and we'll chat to you next week um, as well. Keep an eye on Balzali for your uh, latest GA embedded article over the course of the week, and uh, yeah, look, try and get some sleep now. I think I think it's like <laughs> Monday to Wednesday is kind of your sleep opportunities, and then like kind of the yeah. morning on, you're probably up watching the Olympics, you know, trying to fit in 15 or 16 GA games a weekend. Actually, there's only four games on next weekend in the senior championships. I know you'll be probably trying to sneak in a few Christy Ring Cup games and. <laughs> <laughs> as well but um, anyway Morris thanks a million for joining us we'll be back with you next week okay we're going to be guessing the handicaps with uh, PJ and Gary in just a couple of minutes they're standing by to look ahead to more to, to those games at the weekend before we get to that though we've got another one of our Sean Finch Meehan videos where he's looking at the important issues in GEA and this week the best moustaches that we've ever seen in the world of the Gaelic Athletic Association you can take it from me facial hair can distract from a litany of sins but the GAA moustache is almost from a bygone era. So we thought we'd dig out the history books and have a look at some of the most admirable feats of facial hair growth in GAA history. Here are some of our favourite, finest GAA moustaches. For Jerry McInerney, it's the whole package. The flowing mullet, white boots, tanned legs, but the moustache, that's the je ne sais quoi to round it all off. PJ O'Connell's moustache fed into his obnoxious swagger. Although, he did have the nickname Fingers. What was going on in Clare in the 90s where lads had mad nicknames? Joe McNally has what we call taxi driver drip. And the moustache plays no small role in that. He was brought out of retirement by Mickey Whelan in 96 and he paid him back. There's just something about a moustache which rounds off the no-nonsense persona of a footballer. And Willie Joe Patton is almost the perfect example of that. Sylvia Lenan is almost exclusively known as being a byword for cartoon hardness. And it is probably exaggerated by having a very effeminate name. If Wexford Hurling in the 90s were to moustaches what Liverpool Football Club were to moustaches in the 80s, then Martin Story is basically Ian Rush. Lads, modern hurling needs a moustachioed hero. Thank God Cheddar Plunkett is still kicking as leash manager because he is fighting the good fight on the biggest stage. Even if he didn't directly throw the ball into the goal in the 81 All-Ireland Final, Johnny Flaherty would have still been winning. Look at that moustache, strong as atom. It came, it saw, it won six in a row. Keno Sullivan didn't really have his moustache for an elongated period of time, but even though it was fleeting, it was still iconic. There you go. 
Ian Rush and Martin Story in the same sentence, not something you hear every day. Uh, PJ and Gary are with us to guess the handicaps. Um, don't forget, if you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe, be it on YouTube or the podcast or wherever you're watching. Please do subscribe and get notified as to when we are on. Uh, Colin Fines in the comments here, just on something Morris was talking about. Question is, do other teams have the bottle to beat Dublin on their day when it matters? Still huge question marks over that. I think that's a really good point, lads, before we get into the handicaps, because it's not necessarily only about whether Dublin, um, Dublin will lose. It's more will a team have the self-belief on the day to grasp that opportunity when it arises, mm. you know? Yeah, I, like, in all that, in my mind, the Kerry have the self-belief to beat them. Um, when it comes to other teams, like, I, like I, I'm not so sure. I mean, like, Kerry have definitely, in, in like, league games, they put it up to them recently. There was, like, you know, Kerry really had the belief to, to come back from seven points down, that league game back in May. Um, like, I, I, I wouldn't doubt Kerry's self-belief. Other, like Mayo, I, I would never doubt Mayo's self-belief either. Like I would doubt whether they can actually get get up to the level of, of Dublin this year. But there's like there's no doubt in my, my mind that Mayo believe that they could do it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I don't know why I'm thinking in the early stages. I'm thinking of Kildare, but you're talking about it being Tyrone, Monaghan, Galway, Kerry, uh, Mayo as being the most likely uh, people for them after the Leinster final. So, yeah, uh, let's get on to the handicaps because PJ is the retaining, defending champion here. Uh, he knocked Gary off his perch, uh, his Ian Rush-style Liverpool perch um, uh, last week and has the opportunity to go. But we're into, like, this is this is serious business now. That's four big knockout games. We have a tiebreaker if needed, two from hurling. Two finals, uh, in two provincial finals in the football. It's uh, it's a quieter weekend. We'll actually be able to kind of like take in the games and not have to be worried about everything else that's going on. So exciting stuff. The times have been named for the qualifiers, uh, next Saturday for the hurling qualifiers. We'll start with that. Two p.m. Saturday in Semple Stadium, Turles is Galway versus Waterford. PJ. I forget every week what my method is, so I'm going to go with a new one this week that, it, that is, I'm sticking with from now on. Champion decides. Do you okay. want the honour or do you want to hand it over to, to Gary? Uh, I think I will I'll go first this time. Yeah. Okay, I, I, you're, you're going to go first. Okay, so we're talking about Galway-Waterford, uh, 2pm Saturday in Thurless. Galway, Waterford have had a weird year. They were well beaten by Clare despite a weird uh, comeback they've had. They're the only team that's having a break in this entire championship. And then they came and were cut cold almost against Leash, came through with a won it. But Galway, one match against Dublin, two-week break themselves, and now Waterford up. This is the it's it's funny because there's going to be so much talk about Cork and Clare. It's like these two teams are just so off the beaten track almost this season. Mm. It, it is a it's a very hard game to call. I mean, like it's you really don't know where these two teams are in terms of form. Like, certainly, like Waterford Waterford got a real scare against Leash. Like it was yeah. like a five point win when people were probably thinking it's going to be closer to twenty five. And they were how, they were two down, uh, like three four minutes to go yeah. in normal time. Maybe maybe about eight or nine minutes overall. Leash had like a similar performance in in the uh, qualifiers last year when they got they got within a point of clear. So yeah. you know, maybe maybe we shouldn't be that surprised, I guess. But it, it was still because Waterford had like players back who you thought they need to get these guys back if they are to to, to kind of continue progressing. Because so they got Connor Prunty back, who's like a who's a very good fullback, mm -hmm. and Jamie Barron kind of came off the bench. 
it was still a pretty disappointing performance. Um, like, I think we're, we, we have to see some kind of response from Galway this weekend because they were abysmal against Dublin. Like, they, they were, they, they were, didn't, did not turn up whatsoever. Like, they haven't looked like with such a, with especially disappointing given how good they looked during the league. Yeah. Um, Galway won this game during the league by eight points. It was like a really, really high scoring game. It was like seven goals, 51 points. Um, God, if we imagine if we got a game like that, if we're going to be something else, I have a sneaking feeling that Galway are going to be favourites here. And I'm going to say Galway minus two. Okay. Bearing in mind, I'm going with what we were offered today, by the way. So there is a chance that this changes these games only drawn this morning. Uh, if you see a different one, I picked these at like about an hour ago. So they're they're accurate <laughs> as of on airtime. But uh, you say Galway minus two. Yeah, like yeah, I know yourself and Shane were talking about it earlier, Mick, in terms of do you want to break or do you want the games? And it's kind of a weird one because there's been so few games this year that, like, you know, Waterford, even though they were disappointing against Leash and only won by such a small margin, they could actually stand to them this week. Uh, and whereas Galway have kind of been less sitting for the last couple of weeks. So it's hard to know. I think Galway will be favourites. I think because of the result at the weekend between Waterford and Leash, I think there will be more than minus two as well. So I'm just going to say minus three for Galway. Reveal it there, please, Maestro. It is Galway minus yeah. three. Gary's off the mark. And a big chance uh, that, that's that's for... Uh, that says Mayo versus Galway there, lads. It is a mistake, but it's not a mistake that reveals anything. Uh, don't, don't read too much into that. We will be getting to that game later. Uh, to, to, but, uh, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Uh, <laughs> staying on the hurling then. Cork versus Clare. I said to Shane that Cork never beat Clare. I did actually forget the All-Ireland final replay of 2013 for a second. But since then, since then, they played three times in the championship that year, by the way. Clare only won one of them. Obviously, one that was a draw. And since then, Clare haven't beaten Cork in the championship. They've lost two Munster finals. They've lost a qualifier. They've lost uh, various Munster championship first round matches. And, oh, they did, sorry, that's not, they did beat them in a round robin, actually, in a, Clare were already out a couple of years ago um but other than that claire have a really bad record against galway this is in gaelic grounds at half four i knew the second that claire were knocked out by tipperary that they're matching the if they beat wexford they're matching the qualifiers to be up against the first lines test but <laughs> there you go at least i think it's not a direct comparison i got the whole second half of the lines match in anyway gary you're up here yeah i this again this is kind of a tough one to call like claire are coming off the back of the games like I know people are saying Wexford are poor, like they're and they're not that impressed by them this year, but they did like come within a puck of a ball of beating Kilkenny there, you know, in a Leinster semi-final and everyone are raving about Kilkenny. So like that was a I think that I thought that was a really impressive win for uh, Claire at the weekend, especially with how comfortable they looked towards the end, but like even accounting for the late goal or whatever. Yeah. Cork, again, like that you know they seem to just they seem to always be everyone was kind of expecting more out of them and they just continually come up short. Uh in saying that, I, I don't know, I don't even know who's the favourite in this game is really. I would say possibly Clare, so I'm gonna say Clare minus one, but I could be way off on that. Yeah, the hard one to call. Is it like it, it, you wonder how how well will Clare recover from that game at the weekend? Um, like deep. Cork, I I'd say Cork players will have been spending the entire weekend in a darkened room, nowhere near the sun, what at all. I remember a few years ago doing an interview with Michael Fenley after he retired, and he said one of the things he was looking forward to after retirement was actually getting to go to a barbecue and enjoy it properly. So 
we didn't have to be like sitting in the shade somewhere for the entire afternoon. Like one of the things you never think about uh, no. like, <laughs> that, that, that footballers and hurlers have to do this. Um, Claire were great. It was like that first quarter from Claire was brilliant uh, against Wexford at the weekend. Like the B, the bang, they were they were gone. Um, what are you like eleven points uh, at one stage? Yeah. Got a bit nervy the second half, but like they were they were quite impressive. Like ten different scores, not relying on Tony Kelly like completely. Um, like you know Tony Kelly had like a decent game, but like it wasn't like this barnstorming Tony Kelly game where you're totally relying on him. Like Colin Malone. Scoring one one, that Aidan McCarthy, David Reedy, and Ryan Taylor getting three points each. Like that, mm. that's that's like really good from the player forward line. Like, like you, you have to be like very optimistic about about very very positive about this player team. I think like Aidan McCarthy, I think could be young hurler of the year contender. Like definitely young hurler of the year contender. He's superb. Um, yeah. Uh, other thing like Dave McInerney coming off the bench. Like you would think like such an important player for Claire, you would think he could play a greater part this weekend. Um. Cork, Cork against Limerick, like it was, was it like a weird game because like they could have been much closer than eight points, to Limerick because they were there was a moment there were a few moments I thought in that like second half when Limerick looked a little bit leggy, and then Cork just like a little bit more composure, like they could have gotten closer. Maybe they wouldn't have won it, but they definitely could have pushed Limerick a lot a lot further. I think Cork going to be favourites here because Gary said Clare minus one. I'm going to see Cork minus one, but I. I do kind of fancy Claire, but I'm going to have to say a Cork minus one. Uh, so once again, PJ didn't go for the scratch that would have like just gone with the one more, which does leave the possibility of a draw. It's a brave move, and it's a brave move that is rewarded because he's absolutely right. Cork minus one. Yeah, PJ fancies Claire. Shane McGrath fancies Claire. Uh, I'm a little bit scared now with all this uh, this Claire loving. <laughs> but uh, look, we'll see what happens next week. I would worry so much about their legs, but um look i would say actually the, the point i was actually going to make was there was parts in all three games that claire played this year where they were unplayable that i don't think anybody could have lived with them and they were various lengths as to how long those spells lasted for i think if you can get that spell lasting into a 20 to 30 minute period they might just be out of sight you know um so that that's what they'll have to look for next week um before the other team settles uh let's move on to the football then lads it's one all here both of you have um, broke serve uh, with exact picks. And let's get on to the two provincial finals. Mayo and Galway, just talking to Morris about it there. Uh, historic uh, Crow Park, first ever Connacht final played in Dublin. And the two big teams are the ones that are going to meet. Um, Gary, no. Pete, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, it's me. I'm, I'm terrible up. at this guess the handicaps thing. It's too long a show. <laughs> I'm up first. Um, like, you know, Mayo, like the response to losing Killian O'Connor been pretty good. I mean, like, you know, as good as you could have expected, like 67 point total winning margin. Sorry, it's 67 point uh, total score against uh, against Ligo and Leitrim, won by total of 44 points. Um, you know, in terms of like preparate, like for preparation for a game like this, having lost a player like Killian O'Connor, like it's probably what you want. Like, Ryan O'Donnell, who looks pretty good on, like reliable on the freeze, like they yeah, it, it, like it is just hard to know, like given the opposition, what way they are in. But you would think that they would be confident. Like, like I said earlier, Mayo Mayo footballers will never lack confidence. I think, uh, and they will always think they they can win this game. Uh, they won won this game by a point last year. Like in the in what will be you would expect to be like very different conditions. Mm. 
Um, like yeah, just a bit. Yeah, uh, like the Galway win against Roscommon, like they were that, that was Paul Joyce's first championship win. Incredibly, you think like it's. His first match was a final because they got a bye in the uh, in the semi final to Sligo yeah. last year, yeah, and then it was all knockout, which like, is amazing. Uh, yeah, they like they, they look they, they look pretty good in the second half. I mean, like they, they had some very good footballers, like yeah, like Matthew Tierney look looks great. Like they look, look like a super footballer, someone you could like build around for like like a dec the next decade. Uh, Paul Kelly was really good in that game as well, and um, like they, Damien Comer was back in that game. Who we know. They, like, that was that, I think it was Damien Comer's first championship game in three years, incredibly. Wow. Um like he like we know with a wrecking ball, I think Paul Choice has said that they have a clean bill of health, which would make it like shame make it think Shane Walsh is gonna be gonna be back. Um like I I just don't trust Galway though. <laughs> I, I I just I just can never feel like I can trust them. Whereas I do trust Mayo. Yeah. But what way will this I I think Galway will probably be favourites, though. So I've got to say Galway minus one, but like I, I wouldn't trust them at all. I, 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 I would give me a good chance to win, but I would go for oh. Galway minus one. Galway minus one. Interesting. I, and that's the Killian O'Connor kind of factor there, I suppose. But yeah, it's it's funny you're saying it. Like The way we trust a team like that is them going out and winning the big game. And this mm -hmm. could be the one that they do it in. And then... Then you know we're all excited about Galway. That it's funny how big that's how big this match is. Like you know we can't trust them. We couldn't bet on them, so on and so forth. But they go out and beat Mayo, and they're like, "Oh, this is a tasty Galway team." You know who've they yeah. got next? Yeah, like Mayo are Mayo coming into a bit undercooked. I know like great to get a run out in the two games they've had so far, but like what did they learn from it? Really, I'd say very little. And also, in the terms of Division 2, although we always say how competitive Division 2 is, they haven't played those top, top teams at all this year, whereas Galway were in Division 1, albeit it didn't go as well as they would have hoped, but at least they were being tested every week. And that was a dirty day against Roscommon, against the team who were dogged and just wouldn't die, So even though they weren't great. So that could stand to them. Saying that, I think Mayo, I think that Mayo would be favourites for this game, I would say, just because it's Mayo. Public money is always on Mayo. Uh, I could go dirty and go down just say scratch, but I, I, PJ didn't do it to me the last time, so I'll say Mayo minus one. And once again, rewarded for the bravery and takes a lead here. PJ, you can still bring it to the playoff though, because we've got the Munster final. We're in your neck of the woods here uh, for um, Kerry and Cork in Killarney. Darren O'Sullivan, lads, saying last week that uh, Cork had no chance. I'm not saying he's wrong. Gary, but it was a brave thing for him to say. And at the time, I was like, "Oh, Darren, are you sure you want to say it?" And after working with PJ for the last nearly three years, I can tell you that's a very rare thing that a Kerry man will come out and say that ahead of a game against Cork in the championship. But uh, yeah, like Jesus, surely to God, you'd imagine Kerry won't be caught by Cork again this year. Whatever about winning on Ireland and stuff, they'd be like, "Jesus, lads, we can't get beaten by Cork in the championship again." Coming in with a much better team. I know I I won't do too much talking on this one because I know PJ will want to do that. Uh, but I like pick your number. It's not going to be like some of the mad handicaps we'd seen with Dublin and stuff and some of the hurling games so far. But Kerry minus eight, maybe I'm going to go. I think it could be too low, but I'm going to go minus eight. Oh, PJ, God, that's very high. That feels very high. Gary yeah. has nailed it, though. Yeah, so <laughs> while I will let you talk about Kerry in the Munster final, there's no point in wasting time here because you, you, you gave up 
you you decided to go first and the the possibility was always there that the last one would be just decided by Gary just nailing it. An unbelievable call there. <laughs> Gary's got three out of four uh, and he's champion once again. Kerry won't let you down in the way you've let yourself down there though, PJ, will they? Have, have I let myself down? I probably have. <laughs> but that was a pretty good performance by the opposition. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, to be fair, like, I actually had, I made, made, uh, the, made the Galway versus Mayo pick. I changed my mind and went Galway minus one, even though I had Mayo minus one written down here. Oh, no. I, 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 I talked myself out of it. Um, Cork haven't won a Munster title since 2012. Like what? The, That's amazing. I like it. It, it is shocking. They've lost seven finals, six of them to Kerry, the one last year to Tip. I mean, for Cork football, like, that, that, it really is like a shambolic. Like it is like it is going to change in the future. Like I do, they do have some really good like young footballers coming through, and you would think in the future. I, I know if anyone watched the the most, uh, Cork and Kerry under twenty game. Like that, mm. that was oh, what, what a fabulous game of football! Like, just like there was a load of under 20 games on this week on TG Carr. What, like, watch all of them. If you, they, they really yeah, are great, games. And football, yeah, yeah. Um, like, I, I think that Cork has some very good players coming through. Like, you would think, like, at some point in the future, Keith Ricken is going to manage the Cork footballers, or maybe he's just happy, like, kind of bringing them through. But, like, you, you would like to think he's developing men, PJ. Yeah. If anyone didn't see his interview after the game on the week, you can check it out. It's on Twitter. You find it on Balls of the etc. So, but definitely don't let that go by without watching it. It was a phenomenal. Yeah. Interview. Like, uh, you would go to war with Keith Ricken. Like, what? Like, he, he, he really is this inspirational figure. And you would think, like, with someone like him involved, there's definitely like a better future in car football. Like, they're not, I don't, I don't think they're going to win this game, though. Um, like, they were, they were fine against Limerick. I, I think they were. I think he like a uh, Ron McCarthy described them as workman like, which is kind of like fair enough. It's not going to be enough to be carried. Like they, uh, from a carry perspective, there are things to maybe not worry about. Minor concerns like in the second quarter against Clare, they only between halftime and the fourth quarter break, they only scored four points. Sorry, two points. Like they, which and they, they, they kind of like really ramped it up afterwards. They weren't particularly good in the third quarter against Tipperary either. So we haven't really seen a full seventy-minute performance from Kerry yet, even though like they've they've still been impressive, like impressing people against Tip. Tip just gave up the kick out, like they just mm -hmm. they, they didn't contest it at all. So you want like I would like like go, going forward, like presuming Kerry win this game, you would like to see them get tested in those uh, in those scenarios in this game. Um, it's just to see how what like what's the composition of the carry forward line because Darren Moynihan was out injured the last day Michal Burns came in and Darren Moynihan had been like really really impressive. But, uh, Killeen Spillane came off the bench and kicked like three three really three good points. He's made, really making a case for himself. Yeah, Killeen Spillane's in danger of just becoming the super sub, isn't he? Like and mm. and he he almost does so well so consistently off the bench. But you wonder are they getting enough out of him by by you know, always having him in that position. I don't know. Yeah, I don't like he's uh he, he to me he's like a next level Barry John Keane. You know, like he, he probably did. <laughs> he's getting three points instead of two. Yeah, he's he's coming on in all Ireland final and scoring a goal as he did. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. It, it's very it's just like there there is so much competition in that carry forward line. It, it'll be interesting to see what Peter Keane goes with in this game. And it, like I'm sure he probably had them locked in a room in Corrin's watching that that monster semi-final last year about 50 times i hope he watched it as well himself as well a lot because uh he had a lot to do with that performance so, look i i think like kerry got to win this game but i i would be 
optimistic, like very positive about the future of Cork football beyond this. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Gary, it sounds to me like Peter Keane could win the next five All Irelands, and there'd be Kerry folks still kind of just a little bit pissed off about what happened. <laughs> <last time. laughs> Look, they're not used to losing to Cork anymore, so in fairness, you can understand why. Yeah, yeah. No, not not that the point wasn't well made, PJ. It's just there definitely seemed like there was a little bit of like, I, I, I hope he sat in a room and watched it himself. <laughs> I really hope yeah, he uh, Off uh, delivering food to old people during COVID. He should have been watching more football. <laughs> Okay, that's guess the handicaps. Uh, Gary has <laughs> regained his throne. Uh, we'll be preview. We'll be looking back on all four of those games uh, on next week's show. We'll have Darren O'Sullivan um, back on with us as well, uh, as he has been just coincidentally after all the Kerry matches so far this year. But he'll be back on with us next week. Uh, of course, stay tuned to Ballsaddy all week for more um, GA embedded content um, as we look forward to what's going to be a really really good weekend of GA. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel, be it on YouTube or on the podcast, and we'll be back with you next week.